Welcome to another episode of the Ladies Who Lunch. Today, I have a woman who has done Porgy and Bess, Les Mis, Aida, Beauty and the Beast, Hamilton, and Company, just to name a few. I'd like to propose a toast. Here's to Nikki Renee Daniels. Hi, Nikki. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad to be here with you. So how I know you is a little bit complicated, like I said before the pot, like before we started recording, is I would see your name a lot online. I would there would be a lot of videos of you online, like your videos from Les Mis, videos from Aida, Porgy and Bess, because I did watch the bootleg of that. Um and then like you know, I would always hear your name coming up. Like I had Allison Blackwell on the podcast. Um, and she was like, and cause you guys did Porgy and Bess together. I and love then her. Yeah, she's uh, incredible. And then what, when I, I finally was able to see you in person when I saw Company. And I remember this was like right before the pandemic hit. And I remember I messaged you, I emailed you. And I was like, hi. I was like, I know that there are a bunch of now, like, because with COVID everything, I was like, I would love to meet you afterwards. And I also knew that the stage door was going to be crazy because it's Patty. And so I was like, if there's like a little like, so that way you can avoid lines. I was like, if there's like a little cafe you want to meet, I was like, we can meet, we can be masked up just because I just want to say hi, because I love you. And then it was, and then it was a Thursday. And I remember me and my dad were getting ready to leave the house to go to the train station. And we got like the email or whatever that all Broadway was shut down. And I was just like, Oh no! Like I understood it, but it was so disappointing. And then finally, it was like a year and a half later. I had the tickets for company. My dad and I were in New York. We get to the theater. There's no one outside, and I was like, "Wait, what?" And there, there was security there, but there was no one outside. And it was like, "Oh, the performance started at seven thirty. And I was like, "I thought it was eight. <laughs> I was like, "I thought it was eight. It was eight. <laughs> and so luckily thankfully like because i'd like to get to the theater early anyway but luckily we were we only missed the opening number and a little bit into the um jen and chris saber scene with the karate and stuff we and then i was there but i just remember for the entirety of the first i just kept up and i felt so bad because we were like middle like we were like middle center mezzanine and so, like, like I was like, I was like, I'm disrupting everyone's before. I'm disrupting. I felt awful. <laughs> but anyway, so that was my introduction to you. And I remember, I once I was able to settle down and stop like feeling like oh, just like an awful human being. I was, I enjoyed it. I loved it. I loved your. I was cracking up when you came out, and then when I saw the Birkenstocks. <laughs> so. Yeah, so that was my introduction to you. So, first and foremost, I want to ask you a very brief question. So, you're classically trained, right, as an opera? Yes. I mean, you know, I don't have a degree in, in voice performance, but when I first started singing, it was more uh, classical training. I didn't, um, that was what I learned first. You know, I was singing summertime and stuff like that and then a few years later i realized oh i need to learn how to belt if i want to work so <laughs> in high school um i had this great my show choir teacher mr Beering, jeff Beering, and from the decab center for performing arts um he basically taught me how to belt i was cast as a t moon in wilson the silent and so you know it's more of a belty role and he helped me find that sound as well so i've always done both but 
I went to um, the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, and I was a musical theater major, um, which it was a decision for me when I was a senior in high school. I didn't know if I wanted to go into voice performance to be an opera singer or if I wanted to go into musical theater. And um, I did actually audition at North Carolina School of the Arts for voice performance. And um, I think part of the reason I chose CCM is because I did want to, I realized I had more of a passion for Broadway and musical theater, but the CCM uh, voice program was really amazing. And back then, I don't think they do this now, but back then the musical theater students studied voice with the same faculty that the voice performance uh, students studied with. So in my voice lessons, I really, um, concentrated more on classical music than musical theater repertoire just because that was you know came pretty easily for me so I wanted to keep those and learn more about uh, classical music and keep those chops going mm -hmm. so that was mostly what I did in my voice lessons in college. So where did this love of classical music come from? You know I I've always been a musician I was too shy when I was younger to be a singer so I played piano <laughs> for six years and then I played in the band, I played the flute. Um, so I always just had an appreciation for classical music because that was what you played in, um, what I played in my private lessons in those instruments. Um, so it just seemed natural to like keep going with that style. Um, and it, and that <clears throat> the range, the soprano range that I had lent itself to, you know, every high school voice student does the 24 Italian art songs in Ariana. <laughs> Like yellow book i mean i don't know if they still do they did when i was in high school um and so doing those learning those and learning to sing in italian and i just really loved it and i loved listening to it i love listening to still kathleen battle and natalie to and renee fleming and all these you know amazing kelly O'Hara. <laughs> um so yeah I, I still have a love for that kind of music and i love when i when i get to use that side of my voice in musical theater mm -hmm. i just i remember that's always my first question was whenever someone's i see someone they're like classically trained I'm like i have to ask them about that because i because i find that people who are classically trained are just in a different they're just a different breed of performer oh I just find that, like, I find just like specifically when you look at, like, let's just say Glinda's, for example, in Wicked, like, Chris, like Chris and Chenoweth with Megan Hulte, both classically trained Glinda's, you see it in how they hold themselves, how the easily they switch between the classical to the more like altoey belt, and you just see, and I just yeah, and also this is from the child who when they were like six or seven would watch like operas like La Traviata, um, this one there was about Puritans, I can't remember what it was called, e Puritani. Aida and there would be six or seven year old me not really understanding anything that was going on but just being like oh wow look at those sets they're so cool yeah I mean it's so grand and it's just another level to me <clears throat> as a vocalist I just have such respect for opera singers because it's just it's hard it's so much harder <laughs> to me than what we do on Broadway in a different way what we do eight shows a week that's like a different muscle that they don't work as much because with the repertoire is just impossible to do eight shows a week but I just have such a respect for classical singers so something I do want to talk a little bit about is you were in Les Mis the 2006 revival mm -hmm. I always want to say 2003 and I'm like no that's when the original closed um 
And this was a diverse layman. Like, this was probably the most diverse cast they've ever had. Yeah. They had, Just in the opening cast alone, they had Daphne Rubin Vega, Idara Victor, you, Adam Jacobs, Ali Ewald, Norm Lewis, Nehal Joshi, and Q Smith. I know I'm probably forgetting some people. Lady Goldblatt. Yeah. That and you understudied Fontaine. What was what was it like being in such a diverse cast for a show that's typically white? And I say that in quotation marks. Yeah, I mean, I think Les Mis had been trending towards being slightly more diverse, like in the later years when it would almost when it was time for it to close, which unfortunately is a lot of the times the case. Like as once all the awards have been won and and everyone yeah, then they're like, oh, let's let's be diverse with it now you know same, we saw the same thing with phantom um but yeah it was Ugh, emily was incredible oh yes well I, I tried to see her and we got her understudy and i was devastated i wanted my daughters to see her um in jordan donica and we got both of their covers which i was so sad about but it was a beautiful production anyway and i'm glad they got to see it before it closed mm -hmm. but back to like miz yeah, um, sorry <laughs> yeah it was it was um really cool to be in such a diverse group and you know i feel like that was toward the beginning of my time in the city, and I feel like things had started to progress toward more diversity on Broadway, not nearly as quickly as it did after Hamilton <laughs> became a big hit. Um, but it was just so great because that was one of the most talented casts I've ever worked with. And, you know, Idara and I went on together. Yep. She covered Cosette and I covered Fontaine, and I think it was the first time. Yeah, it was the first and from, my, from what I believe the only time. Yeah, uh, Cosette and Fantine on together, and so as two black women, as two, there was Allison Blackwell and Dorcas Leung in Dallas Theater Center. Oh, okay. But Dorcas is Asian, Certainly so Broadway. I think the only time or first yes. time. So, so you know, it was really cool to be a part of that. Um, and to um, one thing I always have wanted to do is is push the limits of what African-American sopranos can do and be seen as in the theater. And um, so to get that opportunity was really special to me. And I remember this cast was incredible because one of the things that I loved was how each replacement was so different. Like Daphne Rubin Vega has that more, just like the more guttural sound about her with the, with, I don't, I'm trying to think about how to say this politely because I mean it with love, but like the scratchiness in her voice. And then when Leah replaced her, you know, Leah with that gorgeous, just that beautiful, like just like straight beautifulness. And then there was you for a little bit and you're, again, your beautiful voice. And then Judy Kuhn, who got that more classical, like just each of the Fontines were so different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel honored to be even mentioned in the same <laughs> group as all of those women because they are so incredibly different. Um, and it's just a testament to, you know, good theater. Good theater can be done by so many different types of people because what's on the page works and is uh, the storytelling works. So no matter who's doing it, you always find something of value. Mm -hmm. So you also, so we talked about this a little bit, but you did Porgy and Bess. A little, sorry, I'm like kind of like just skyrocketing <laughs> through your career. <laughs> yeah, yes, Porgy, that was. I think it'll, I, I hope I get another uh, show that's that special to me, but it really was really artistically just the most amazing thing I've ever been a part of. Because I, I remember I had Allison Blackwell on the podcast, and she said it was. I remember she said she was originally, she was like, what it drew to her was because it was supposed to be Audra and Brian Stokes Mitchell. 
And then she said, then Brian left for some reason, but then it was normal. It was, and she said, what was amazing for her to watch was how, because you guys had, I believe it was Suzanne Laurie Parks came in, reworked it to be more of like a musical and still like opera, but like, you know, some spoken dialogue instead of singing. And you guys also yeah, that re- was the point of the this production was to rework mm-hmm. it to be more of a musical theater piece than an opera piece. But yes. Yeah. And she was saying how there was a lot of stuff that, like, they had long conversations because there were things that were cut or, like, things that with the estate where they were like, no, you can't cut this. And then they were like, well, what if we just alter it because there were parts that were offensive? So what was that process like for you being one of the more, like, in the print? Not well, Clara's more featured or principal, is she? I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah, it was my first, it was my principal Broadway debut, first time originating a principal role. And um, yeah, I loved being a part of it. Um, I had actually done the opera, and the only professional opera that I've done is Morgan Best at the now, I think now defunct New York City Opera, or is it in Brooklyn now or something? It's not the same as I have no idea. New York City Opera. That was one of my first gigs in the city. Um, I got to play Clara in that. Um, so having been a part of the original, um, and the Gershwin estate wanted to create something that was more streamlined and shorter for Broadway and also played up the drama maybe a little more than the singing so much. So to get to be in in that room and to figure it all out together, uh, Diane Paulus was the director on that and she was super collaborative and so open to our ideas and suggestions. And we had an all-female creative team with Susan Laurie and Deirdre Murray um, sort of reworking some of the music and with Diane and it was a great room to be in Audra it was a dream to work with her she had obviously been um a huge inspiration and idol for me as a young black soprano because when I was in high school you know she was like it <laughs> like <laughs> as far as like a path forward for a, a young black soprano I'm happy to say there are so many other people now to look up to on Broadway but for me, it was it was Audra. You know, she was the one of the only ones that I saw singing legit on the Broadway stage. Other than Harold Blackwell, also was in Candide when I was in high school. Um, so I obviously looked up to her as well. Another Clara from Borgia oh, Best. Beautiful. <laughs> um, I love her. Um, what's it called? Green Finch and Lindenberg. Yes. Oh my God. And I actually played Joanna when I was in high school. Oh. Um, and I did that. Um, because I had heard her do it. Um, so anyway, to get to work with Audra was huge. Um, such a learning experience. Just obviously she's an amazing vocalist, but just as an actor to watch her create that part and to just sort of demand, not in a diva way, but to demand yeah. the truth of the piece be put forth in every way possible. How can we do this? Why are we singing this? Can we speak this? Can we, how can we make this uh, more, you know, she just wrung every emotion you could possibly wring out of that piece um so to get to share the stage with her it just brought us all up to our best level and you know here's audra killing it on like a wednesday matinee like it's opening night you know just like throwing her guts out on the stage you're like how could you do anything but be right there with her you know so it was a very um very cool experience for me i just love that because it brought us it brought us another cohort it brought us another collaboration between the chaotic audra and norm because when they're together it's just chaos. like i love their broadway.com like asking a star thing like it was so funny where like where 
uh, where one question was Audra, if you could choose any role from Norm's career, what would it be? And Norm was like, "Do you know my career?" And Audra was like, "Shut up! I know your career." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that whole guy. We just got along so well, and David Allen Greer, who's just oh, yeah, incredible. You know, I loved him since In Living Color, watching that when I was younger, and and to get to share the stage with him also was just so cool. So you played Clara and got to sing the. And I don't use this word lightly, the iconic summertime. Like, you literally opened the show. Mm-hmm. Was there, like, an ex- well, because you played it before, but was there, like, a certain amount of, was there, like, pressure on you? Like, or did you put oh, pressure I, on yourself? I put a huge amount of pressure on myself. It's, like, the most famous song in the world. knows <laughs> <laughs> it? You know what I mean? You, you can't miss on that. And it's the first some notes in the whole thing, this beautiful overture, and then here I come, you know, so uh, yes, <laughs> backstage, <laughs> I feel like I definitely overwarmed up in that show, because I was always backstage, like, <laughs> like, just trying to be ready, you know, to, like, go out there, and we, we got to meet so many cool celebrities, and, like, dignitaries, Chelsea Clinton came backstage, and was like, my dad used to sing Summertime to me when I was, you know, at a bedtime lullaby, like, you know what I mean, it was just... <laughs> Like Barbara Streisand and Donna Karen came together. Liza Minnelli oh came like before the Tonys because you know it was there was a bit of controversy because Stephen Sondheim had written that letter to the New York Times yeah. saying you know sort of how dare they change this piece, and so you know and then Follies we were up against Follies and Follies was winning all these awards and we were like oh what are we gonna do are we gonna win and on Tony Day Liza Minnelli came backstage and was like. If, there will be no justice if you don't win or something like that. <laughs> and we won the Tony Award. It was just like, I mean, when Sondheim wrote that letter, we were out of town. We lost some producers and investors over that. Like we were, we were like this little engine that could, you know, like trying to overcome all of this stuff. And so to, to be able to like get up there and perform on Tony night and win the Tony award and Audra won the Tony award. And we had so many nominees, Philip Boykin and Norm and uh, David Allen Greer, you know, it was just, it was really um, a really sweet victory (laughs) to win that best revival award. Yeah. I just, I remember, I, I'm going to rewatch that because I just remember it being like, I was so fascinated by it and how it was done and just, and, like, because typically, like, sometimes when people, like, produce, like, they try to, like, turn an opera into a musical, it's, like, really, it can be really choppy. But that was so, from what I remember, it was so well executed and it still flowed. Yeah, we really didn't cut much. I mean, you know, Porgy and Bess is a three and a half hour opera, but many of the songs have, like, just several verses. Yep. <laughs> so we would maybe cut the third and fourth verse. I remember we were watching, I remember my freshman year of college, because they do... They switch between an opera and a dance piece, and my freshman year they did an opera, and it was it was the one of the French Cinderella Cinderillion, and I remember it was super titled, so it had the subtitles above the screen, and I was just I would look at it and I was like, they've just said the same thing for the past two minutes. Right. It's like I was like, you could just be like snip snips. Like, did you yeah. really need to repeat that for two minutes straight? Yeah, so really we didn't cut many songs. I mean, a, a lot of the operatic productions cut the buzzard song. We cut that. But um even like I said, even a lot of the operatic productions cut that. So I think I don't believe there was any full song that was cut. You know, it was just a matter of streaming. Just snipping and just mm-hmm. like 
Or maybe mm-hmm. something would be spoken instead of recitative. It'd be like a short scene, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so on a complete one hundred and eighty from Porgy and Bess, you also did a Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> now, when you were first announced, I was like, "Oh, she's going to be Eliza." Yeah. That's and what then I, thought. <laughs> and then I was like, "Wait, what, Angelica?" That was what I thought. I mean, I saw the show, and I was I love was such a fan. And I thought, oh, you know, I could play Angelica or Eliza, but I'm kind of more of an Eliza, I thought. I thought. Um, but I couldn't get seen, couldn't get an audition when they were first going, couldn't get an audition for the tour. The first tour, like, was trying, trying, trying to get seen. And then the first time I was seen was, I think, one month after I'd given birth <laughs> to my <laughs> second daughter. And they saw me for Eliza. And... Um, they were like, great audition, but we think you're more of an Angelica, so we'll see you again like when an Angelica track comes up. So I was like, okay, sure. Um, I think, honestly, they just want to, most of the Elizas tend to be a bit younger mm-hmm. or, you know, in their 20s. And by then, I was already in my 30s, so I think they maybe thought I was too old. Um, but once I played Angelica, I was like, oh, no, this is the right, <laughs> <laughs> the right fit. I mean, I would have loved to have gotten to do Eliza, but it was sort of, I mean... You know, I was playing um, Nabalungi in Book of Mormon for yes. four years on Broadway. Um, and it was sort of my 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 leaving the ingenue and moving into the lady. <laughs> you know, it was like my transition in like one role <laughs> from one role to the next. Uh, and so I was like, no, you know, this is this is what, what I should be doing. This is where I should be. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. For me. Uh- I remember I listened to, there was a bootleg of yours out there for a while. I don't know what happened to it. But I was just like, oh, I was like, again, it's that classical training. Like, with how Nick, like, not Nikki, with how Renee, when she was saying, like, how she did Shakespeare in the park and, like, how that helped her work towards doing the fast rapping in Hamilton. And so, again, I'm like, classical people with the wind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like they tell dancers, you have to take ballet to be good at jazz or whatever you know it's kind of the same vibe i think but yeah porgy and best was my favorite artistic experience but my favorite role that i've ever done was definitely angelica and hamilton why was it your favorite because i mean it was just so satisfied just to <laughs> <laughs> it's just a masterpiece like it's it's the drama of it i mean when people haven't seen the show and don't know it's to what to expect you know you watch helpless and it's like oh three sisters they love each other it's great you know and then you get satisfied and it's like you know to get to pull back that curtain and show mm-hmm. inner monologue of, of what she's thinking after you've just done the scene where you're like smiles and glossing over everything you know to get to show that the inner workings of her psyche and her soul and also it's just from a technical perspective so many words <laughs> <laughs> that you have to really be on your toes and there's so much to play that you could never play it the same way twice you know like it's just if you really like take apart the words and and then and, and just like pull it all apart and think about what she's trying to say it was just the biggest acting challenge just to to get through it and to show that you know the conflicting feeling she had this love for her sister and this possible love of her life, which, you know, we don't know if in real life, Angelica and Hamilton really had that relationship. It's, we'll never know. But for the purposes of the drama of the show to like find that Mm -hmm. 
those relationships and then to in the second half after he's betrayed Eliza to come back <laughs> and like tell him off you know and it's like the anger it's just so multifaceted it was just a really cool role to see sink your teeth into so what was it like being in because the Chicago production was like like I remember like everyone like the probably the production was obviously critically clean but like the Chicago production like they were like oh my god it's better than the Broadway one <laughs> so what was it like joining that company um well I think the cool thing about Hamilton and I give all the props to the creative team um Tommy Kale and Alex Lackamore and Andy Blankenbuehler I came in um in Le Monroe, obviously but I didn't meet him on the show I met him before but not on the show but anyway <laughs> uh, when I came into the Chicago company I was it was about to close right i did like the last nine months yeah run so you know i've been a replacement before where you don't see the creative team anymore if it's a big hit they're like they leave it in the hands of the associate uh directors and that's that but i tommy came back twice he worked with me like right before i went into the show alex lackamore came like shortly after i started and worked with me uh andy blankenbuehler came and like worked with the cat like they really care about the production and also they don't insist that everyone be a carbon copy of the original cast mm -hmm. so everyone is so different and so that's what's so neat about the show is you can see it i mean there's how many what four companies in the in the states alone between the tours and and broadway and all that you could see so many versions of these characters and like i love renee goldberry she was amazing she won the tony but i'm not her and i have my voice isn't exactly like hers so i had different things that I wanted to do vocally or different things that I, different choices I wanted to make as an actor. And they fully supported all of that and welcomed it. And so it was so much fun to, to do and to feel like, even though you're replacing, you're making it your own. And also, you know, three years into the run, you're on with understudies all the time. And they gave every understudy, I mean, obviously we had to hit our marks, but they gave every understudy that same mm -hmm. clearance to, to make the role their own. So, you know, depending on who you were on with that day, it could be a completely different show, you know, and you ha and you get to have your moments with that when that one person is on or when that other person is on, you have that moment, you know. So it was just really, as an actor, it was a great, um, just a great experience. So what would you say was the hardest part for you about Hamilton? Uh, being away from my family, probably. <laughs> <laughs> because it was the first time, because uh, I went into Book of Mormon when my oldest daughter was one. And that had been, that was my first Broadway show since she was born. And I was in it for four years. I took a maternity leave to have my second daughter. And then uh, when I finished in Book of Mormon, my oldest daughter was in kindergarten. And so I traveled back and forth from Chicago to New York every week. <laughs> so I could see my family. I, made, I took like 35 trips every Sunday. The show would come down at five o'clock. The train station was like right behind the stage door. Oh, that's the train station and make a seven o'clock flight back to New York. Come home, see my family Sunday night, Monday, and then get on a noon flight <clears throat> back to Chicago on Tuesday. And so I did that every week for <laughs> nine months. And then for the summer, my daughters stayed with me in Chicago and my husband mm -hmm. traveled back and forth because he was doing Tootsie on Broadway at the time. So it, that was the hardest part. <clears throat> being away from my little my little ones but was that a struggle was that like was that one of the th was that hard to accept being like okay like I want to accept this job but I also was that like a hard decision to make yeah it was I mean that's but that's part of our 
business, you know, I mean, when they're young, you just bring them with you. <laughs> uh, you know, you just drag them along with you. But once they're in school, it gets complicated um, to still do this. But we've been so fortunate. And I knew that, you know, financially, it was a good opportunity um, for us to both be working on such high profile jobs at the same time. And it helped to, you know, secure us for the future so that we didn't have to travel as much or maybe take jobs that we don't want to take as much. So I think it was the perfect um, storm of it just being Hamilton and me really wanting to get to be <laughs> part of that legacy. And also, you know, financially, it was a, a boon to us as a family. So we took the opportunity and just made it work. So did you, because now I love Chicago. I went there once with my mom and I remember we, because she was a nurse and she did, went to a nursing conference. And I remember my favorite thing to do was to bike just all throughout the city because there the sidewalks are massive. Yeah. That you can bike, unlike New York. Yeah. And so what What did you, did you take your kids to the aquarium and stuff like that? I'm just asking, I'm asking personal questions now. Yeah, I hope that's we, okay. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Uh, we went to the aquarium. You know, I people were like, didn't you love Chicago? And I was like, I feel like I didn't get to see it <laughs> because I was always traveling on the day off. And I also took that time to do that. I did a course um, to get certified. Um, it was like a five course uh, vocal health and vocal teaching to be a voice teacher. Oh. So anyway, while I was there and I had the free time during the week, I was like studying and trying to like complete that program. So I didn't do a ton of stuff. But when my daughters were there, we did go to the zoo Hyde Park Zoo I think um the aquarium and Millennium Park we would go almost every day and they had the most amazing children's library downtown so we went there so I feel like I saw most of my sights in Chicago <laughs> when my kids were there so what made you want to become a vocal teacher um I really wanted to learn more about just the uh, biology and physiology of singing and and what is happening in in your body and what muscles do you use and all of that. Um, so that was intriguing to me and just learning more about vocal health. Um, but also, you know, I have coached people before people like friends and stuff had asked me to coach them. And I was just curious uh, on how to be a voice teacher should that um, become a thing. So now I do teach voice sometimes. <laughs> it's like another, you know, way to make money. And also I like... I like it. I like uh, figuring out what people are doing. I mean, I'm such a technician, I think, just from that classical training. So <laughs> whenever I am watching performances, I'm like, oh, where are they placing that? Is that a belt or is that a mix? How are they doing that? You know? <laughs> and so I wanted to just learn more about it in general. So something I do want to talk to you a little bit about is I remember that one was public, and I remember I asked you about this on Twitter one time. So you've had some missed opportunities due to being a black woman in the theater and being a soprano. Like, I remember the main thing I remember was seeing was Light in the Piazza. You wanted to play Clara in the national tour and they were like, mm, no. <laughs> um, and then what? one of the funny things was I remember just randomly, I was just like, I was just thinking about this and I just tweeted asking you and I was like, did Nikki Renee Daniels ever go in for Wicked? I was just curious. I was like, I didn't know. And you said you did. And they kept trying to see you for Alphabub. But you were like, no, I'm a Glinda. Uh -huh. You were like, I'm a Glinda gal. And they essentially said, we don't see that happening. Yeah. I mean, you know, I call them missed opportunities. That's a good word. Although, you know, with the theater, it's it's hard to say, like, if you would have been cast anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> if, if all 
the playing field was even if you would be cast because you know it's not always about talent or who's the best not to say that I'm, i would have been the best glinda but you know it's it's never it's not you would have been fabulous of, <laughs> there's always a lot of factors that go into why you're cast or why you're not but there were several opportunities that i just wasn't given the chance like when i tried to get seen for glinda i was told oh there'll never be a black glinda <laughs> Uh, you know, when I tried to get seen for Light in the Piazza for the tour, they said, no, we're not seeing people of color, you know, so there are definitely some, some opportunities that I didn't even get a chance to try for, um, which is regrettable. And I feel like maybe had I been moving to the city now, it would have been a different story because things have evolved somewhat. Um, but you know. Uh, I'm glad that the next generation is getting those opportunities now, maybe because I like pushed and insisted on being seen for some of those types of roles. I remember when I was in college, we had a an agent who would come and like do a masterclass and show us a breakdown that the agents get that, that uh, shows how they submit people for roles. And they gave, he gave us a, a breakdown of Beauty and the Beast. And he was, and I said, well, you know, the character description on this looks like I would be right for this role. Would you submit me for this role? Because at the time, there had never been a Black Belle. I don't think. Was that before Tony Braxton? It must have been before Tony Braxton. And he was like, oh, there'll never be a Black Belle in Broadway. <laughs> and he just kind of moved right along, you know. And that was, that was, you know, kind of a slap in the face to me. But I saw when they were doing Beauty and the Beast at North Shore Music Theater, it was the first regional production and I tried to get seen and I was cast and I played the part three times, you know, so there have been those moments or like in Les Mis when, when uh, I made history with my dear friend Idara or in Company when I made history as the first African-American to play Bobby on Broadway, you know, so you just have to keep pushing for the opportunities and, and hoping that people will see you. So was that like, was it frustrating for you to be like, they're like, no, I can do this. But like, they just, was that like frustrating? Was that difficult? Was that <clears throat> upsetting? Uh, it was frustrating, but it wasn't anything that I didn't expect. <laughs> you know, uh, as I said, when I was coming of age, Audra was the only game in town. So mm -hmm. that, you know, it, and I, when I was first interviewing with agents, when I first moved to the city, I said, I am going to want to push the boundaries and I want to be seen for these roles you know are you on board with that are you going to support that and so i i found you know representation that would at least try to get me in the door it didn't always work sometimes it did sometimes i was successful sometimes it did and i wasn't successful or whatever but you know i had to try mm -hmm. so speaking of being the first black bobby you did the revival the 20 in china 2022 revival of company slash 2020 what was it like first off what was when you first heard that this was going to be a thing were you like oh this is for me or um not well a little bit i mean <laughs> <laughs> i you know i read that, that it was happening in london and they were having a female bobby and i thought oh that's interesting um but I didn't necessarily think, oh, I should be Bobby. <laughs> I, I couldn't get an audition for the role, you know, because they were seeing people with more high profile credit. Mm -hmm. But um, I did read about when the actress playing Jenny went on and she was the first African-American to be a female Bobby. I think they'd had an African-American Bobby in, on the West End before. Yeah, Adrian Lester. But um, I remember reading about that and that was before I had an audition. I thought, oh, 
well, they have a black woman in that part, maybe, and she's the cover. Like, maybe I could do that. <laughs> you know, it was never like this master plan of like, how can <laughs> it's my dream role. Uh, so anyway, I, you know, when I saw that it was coming to Broadway, I, um, I thought, you know, in Actors Equity, they have like casting calls where you can look and see what's happening in the, I remember the casting call said that everyone had to be like a comedic actress. You know, I don't think of myself as like a comedic actress. Like I can be funny if the line is there, but I'm not like a Jennifer Samar <laughs> where I can like, make reading the phone book hilarious. You know? Yeah. But, well, I don't know if they'll see me. I don't know if I'm hilarious enough to be seen for this, but I would love to go in. And so uh, it was actually while I was uh, doing Hamilton and I, they had asked me to <clears throat> submit a tape and I said, actually, I'm going to be in town because I had a few days off because my daughter was starting school and I wanted to be there for her first day of school. No. So I said, actually, I'll be in town for a few days. And so I got to go in in person and um, yeah, I went in and, and Marianne Elliott was there and uh, Joel Fram, the music uh, director and supervisor and I went in and I did my scene my pot smoking scene <laughs> and I sang you know a couple songs from the show and and uh that was it and I felt like I had a great audition and I couldn't go to the callbacks because I was going to be back in Chicago <laughs> um and they didn't have they didn't have me sing any Bobby material or anything um so I was like oh well you know audition for Jenny and they didn't give me normally if you're auditioning for a part that they're going to want to cover the lead they give you that material mm -hmm and you do all the material but they had only given me the jenny material and i didn't have a callback <laughs> i was like well you know uh but then a few days after i auditioned the casting director called my agents and was like would she be interested in covering bobby <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, initially i said no not because i thought i was too good <laughs> to be an understudy but because i just thought oh i don't want to be an understudy because you know when you're an understudy you have rehearsal all day thursday all day friday so you you know you start the show the show week on tuesday then you have two shows wednesday rehearsal on thursday a show on thursday rehearsal on friday a show on friday two shows on saturday so you know i was just thinking in terms of just coming back from hamilton i didn't want to be gone <laughs> all week you know because i didn't want to miss seeing my kids like at the time that i would get with them after school but you know they kind of kept asking and they kind of made it seem like it was a deal breaker if they were gonna cast me or not so i was like okay sure i'll i'll cover it and that's how i came to get that opportunity which is kind of nuts so what was it like working with the genius that is marion elliott i love her I mean, <laughs> yes the best what was so cool about working with her i was kind of intimidated um going in for the audition because she's you know so known for her work on plays i mean like warhorse and Curious Case of the Dog in the Nighttime, I believe. Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Curious incident, yeah. Um, and, you know, Angels in America. And, like, she's known for all this, like, intense... Like, Dramas. ...stuff. And so I was like, am I... Is she going to think I'm, like, a terrible actress? <laughs> 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 Just because, you know, I don't... I have never done a play, actually. I've only done musicals. Um, but she just her process of creating these characters and like the table work. We spent hours just like me and Fitz and Katrina at a table, just talking about our characters and like teasing apart every line in the script and like, how can we make this make more sense? And like, you know, we had input about, well, I don't know about this line. Like, what if I said this, or this doesn't sound like how I would talk. What if we change it? And she'd be like, okay, we'll have to ask Steve, Steve. <laughs> If you want to be able to allow us to make these changes. But it was just so collaborative and so 
just a much deeper way of creating character than I had ever experienced in a, mm-hmm. in a process for a musical. And um, she's just like, not, she's just so nice <laughs> and like, not, uh, you know, you weren't afraid to like fail, but she also like would note you and like give you corrections, mm-hmm. like make you better, <laughs> you know? And like, I just trusted her taste so much. I just, cause I would, you know, that show was so, we were so separate. It was like a scene and then another scene. You know, yeah. <clears throat> all our scenes were so like in their own little box. And yeah. So, um, you could watch the other scenes and you could tell what, what she was telling those people. Oh, she's right. So you thought, well, she's right about them. She must be right about them. <laughs> you know, because you were able to like watch it in a way that you aren't for most musicals because you're so up and down, yeah. in and out in every scene. So I just thought she was so smart and so also so collaborative. She wasn't the type to give you a line reading or um, she just really took to heart our opinions and like even when we went back the second time after um 18 months off during the COVID Mm -hmm. we went back into the rehearsal studio and we went back to the table and we talked about these characters now in the context of what we've all been through in the last two years you know I lost my mom like I, I, I you know the whole George Floyd uh situation opened up the discussion on race in the country and so we talked more about Chris and I as an interracial couple and how I felt about him flirting with Katrina within the context of that. You know what I mean? So she was just, mm-hmm. she was just so great. I just, I would love to work with her on again, because I think she's brilliant. Um, so yeah, couldn't say any more positive things about her. <laughs> I think she's great. Was it like, was it terrifying when the industry shut down? Because there was a lot of Broadway shows that announced they were closing. Yeah. Well, thankfully, they were her and Chris Harper, our lead producer, who also is the most amazing producer I've ever worked with. Chris Harper paid my salary and I love him. (laughs) I love Chris Harper. He's the sweetest guy, like truly one of the most genuine people. It was also cool with her being one of the producers as well, like seeing her wear all this. Mm -hmm. But they were very in close contact with us um, over the pandemic and just saying we are coming back like we are we're planning on coming back like we never were worried that we weren't coming back you know they they made sure that we felt uh secure in the knowledge that we would be back so thankfully we i wasn't as worried about the show possibly closing before we could even open (laughs) um (laughs) which was devastating to watch so many people go not like play their last performance and have no idea it was their last Mm -hmm. but thankfully that wasn't our story so but on the plus side, where because I know I had very, I have very conflicting feelings about the pandemic. I was, I enjoyed it because I was able to spend time with my family again, something that we hadn't done in years. Because you know, all three, me and my brother and sister, we were all in college, and so I'm like, I was up in, I was up in, I went to Ithaca, so I was in upstate New York. My brother was in um, Maryland somewhere, I forget. Um, I don't know the exact place. And then my sister was in the Bronx because she was at something. I forget. I'm so bad with memory. things. <laughs> and so, you know, this was the first. And then also with my parents, because they were, they're both nurses. So they work nine to fives. And so this was the first time where we were all home. And I remember I started a family game night thing where like every Tuesday we just get together and we, cause we had all these games in our house. Like, cause we were like, Oh, this is cute. And I was like, let's just go through them all and play them all. And so we do wheel of fortune. We do per- trivial pursuit. 
um my mother was like we're never doing monopoly because that's just gonna we're, we have to live in this house for like the umpteenth number of months we did we did scooby-doo clue we did um so was that nicer to finally be like okay cool i can spend time with my kids it, it was it really was and then also like as i said we lost my mom yes in june of 21 I, she got a stage four uh colon cancer diagnosis in january of 2020 so it was so nice to just be able to go and spend like three weeks at a time with her and like not be worried about oh am i gonna be missing a show or like you know none of that it was just we spent such so many huge chunks of time in atlanta with her and she did so well for so long like that's those are some of my favorite memories with her as a family and um I'm really glad we got that time. And and the same with my husband's family, you know, it was always like, how can we fly home for like 36 hours for Christmas? <laughs> like, you know, it was just so like hard to, and you missed like all these milestone birthdays and weddings and graduations and all these things because you're like beholden to a show schedule, which you feel so lucky to be able to be working on Broadway. You know, it's so rare to have, the careers that my husband and I have had, but at the same time, I'm glad that no show like precluded me from being able to spend quality time with my mom and what would have been her last year and a half alive, you know? So definitely appreciated that aspect of it. So going back a little bit into company. So you play the role of Bobby. How did you approach that role? Because I think it's like, it's a really hard role to do because it's like you said, it's not like it's a real like thorough storyline. It's just a little bunch of vignettes that go together. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Marianne was so great. And like, she let the understudies sit in on all the table work for whoever they were covering. So Mm -hmm. I was able to like listen to a lot of the conversations that Katrina had with them. But also I, I relate to Bobby just because I feel like if I hadn't met my husband, like my Jeff Crady, <laughs> my particular husband, <laughs> I probably would still be single. I think. <laughs> because I really was not like in any rush. I, I didn't feel like I needed to be married to be validated in life. Um, and so I could see in another sliding doors world uh, where I would be Bobby, you know, and trying to figure out like once I got to the age of where it was like, Oh, do I want to have kids? Like I could see myself in that position (laughs) (laughs) trying to to navigate. Well, is it worth it or not? Like, you know, my life is pretty good the way it is. And yet, you know, let me take a look at some of my friends and see what I think. So I feel like it wasn't a leap for me to relate to Bobby um especially the way that she was in our production um as a successful woman who's like got everything going for her you know she doesn't need a man but does she want one you know what does she want what uh, trajectory does she want her life to take and so it was pretty easy for me to drop into that idea Mm -hmm. And then, so also, what then? What was it like playing? I mean, with Bobby. What was it like playing opposite Patty Lapone? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing about Patty is, you don't know what to expect, right? Because you've heard all these stories about yep. popping the show and taking the camera and like all this stuff. And yes, there's that side of her, but like 
when you come to the first day of rehearsal with Patty Lapone, she wants to meet everyone. She, by the end of like the third day, she was calling the like PAs by name. Like she really considers herself part of an ensemble, right? Like she, she didn't throw diva fits during rehearsal. You know, like she was doing side by side with all of us and learning in her four inch heels, <laughs> learning <laughs> in choreography and dragging a chair around. You know what I mean? And she tried and she, she she wasn't above it all you know she went to juilliard and and considered and she was part of i think an acting troupe when, uh after she graduated there and, yeah it was called the acting company yeah and she really felt like a team member you know this team member who had amazing stories <laughs> <laughs> and so uh Backstage, you know, we would all be in that box waiting to come on stage uh, while Katrina was singing Marry Me a Little. And we would always get in trouble for talking. (laughs) 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 She's out there, like, feeling it. And we're like, so, Patty, how was it doing? um, Rouge? Can you tell me about, you know? And so she would, like, tell us about what it was like to be in Evita. Or, like, we would just be, she'd be, she would bring her um, Cheez-Its. She had a variety of Cheez-Its. That she would have her dresser would like have her snack and she'd be like, does anyone want a cheese? Do you want the white cheddar? And she had her dressing room, you know, she had her dressing room and then sort of like a sitting room and it'd have like all these snacks and like everyone go over there and eat snacks. You know, it was just like, she was so approachable in so many ways. Like even over the break of the pandemic, my kid's school was doing like a gala. And I was like, Patty, will you do a video for my <laughs> my daughter's school? And she was like, sure, doll. And she like made a video talking about like music education. You know what I mean? Like she was just, she's not like this unapproachable like entity. And just to get to watch her work and to get to do the scene with her, and like see her performance like from three feet mm-hmm. away was surreal. <laughs> it was surreal. Like I kept having to like be like, stop it. Cause you're in your mind, <laughs> you want to like watch Patty LeBron instead of like be in the scene with Patty LeBron. Yeah. So like, yeah, it was, it was very cool. So we talked about your husband a little bit, but I do want to ask you about so recently, you guys have started the Creedy Holiday Spectacular. <laughs> yes. How did this come about? Because I remember, see, I, there was I was because I always like to do a little bit YouTube deep dive, and I remember there was this really cute video of a concert that you and Jeff did, and it featured your first daughter. Uh huh. And it was you guys singing "Love Is an Open Door." <laughs> yeah. And it was so. And typically, like, and now I hate children. I. <laughs> I'm very much, I'm like Miss Trunchbull. I hate children. Um, but her, I was just like, oh. Yeah, that's our Lena. She's, I mean, both of our daughters are great singers. Um, yeah, we were, you know, over the pandemic, we got to do a Christmas concert um, with the Cincinnati Symphony. And uh, it was like a, they taped it, you know, and put it on YouTube because they were they weren't doing shows. And so they wanted a family because that way we could sing together and mm-hmm. our daughters sang with us. And so it was really nice. And so that kind of like planted a little bit of a seed because the great Christmas, it's a, it's a holiday show. And so it, it planted the seed for it. And also Jeff grew up in Topeka, Kansas, which actually has a really thriving arts community that he was a part of, like since he was a young kid. So we saw it as an opportunity to like 
give back to this community that's given so much to him. So like on the show last year, we had the Shawnee Coral Society and we had like uh, a puppeteer group from um, a church that he grew up in. And we had um, this year we're having a kid, the kids chorus. And, you know, we're just trying to like highlight people from the community while also, you know, featuring our family as well. So it's, it's sort of evolved from that and so we did it last year and it was a big success even though it was the coldest day in kansas in 30 years <laughs> <laughs> and santa claus quit the night before <laughs> but because it was icy roads and oh we still almost sold out a 2000 seat uh wow. house. um so this year we're doing it again <laughs> so my next question is do your kids still tell you that you're flat because there was a tweet one time where you were like, I was singing a bedtime story to my child. And she was like, mom, you're flat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. My older daughter has not perfect pitch, but she's pretty close. I mean, she's got an, an amazing ear. And um, I was singing to her once and she told me it was flat at bedtime. And she was not wrong. <laughs> I mean, in my defense, I was laying down. <laughs> trying to sing a little i don't know somewhere over the rainbow or something but yeah she's she's got a very good ear um and my younger daughter used to at request that i sing it in a higher soprano key because it's more beautiful or up there <laughs> so you know we, we're getting uh pretty pretty critical requests here in bed for for our lullabies <laughs> getting these notes from them yeah <laughs> your children yeah uh, it's always it's always your kids it's yeah. never the critics it's always your kids <laughs> they're the most honest they're the most honest <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me i had such a pleasure chatting <laughs> with you i just have three final questions for you yes first and foremost where can the people find you online Okay, so I'm on all of the things at Nikki Renee Sings on Twitter or X, whatever it's called. Oh, I still call it Twitter. <laughs> Twitter, um, Instagram, and TikTok, and I Threads also. I think uh, at Nikki Renee Sings two Ks. Um, I have a website, NikkiReneeDaniels.com. I have a Facebook fan page also. Um, I think that's it. Is there anything you want to plug or promote? Well, I just had a TV appearance last week, but I can't um, really talk about it because we're on strike. Yeah. So different people have just been sending me messages. But yeah, maybe once the strike is over, I can talk about that. <laughs> and then finally, my last question for you is, is there a lady you would love to have lunch with? There is. I'm so glad you gave me this question in advance because I thought about it and I thought, Maya Angelou. Because she was, I mean, she did everything. Like we all, a lot of, she's most famous, I think, for sort of being friend of Oprah and a poet. <laughs> um, but she also was a dancer and a singer and an actress. And she directed a movie, if not more than one. She's won so many awards. Uh, you know, she did the inaugural poem at Clinton's inauguration. Like she was born at this almost right before my grandmother was born. And just to see all that she overcame in her life, she was a civil rights icon. Like, I would love to sit down with her and just ask her about her amazing life. She was originally supposed to do the the Pearl Bailey production of Hello Dolly. Yeah. And then, but sadly, Pearl was just like, no, she's too ugly. 
<laughs> which I'm just like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, okay. I'm like, I wasn't aware that was how it was like, okay, I guess that's how things were done back then. Um, yeah. Oh, I mean, so we were robbed of that performance because of Pearl. Okay. But yeah, I mean, she was just so talented in so many ways. I mean, I think it was Maya. It might've been someone else. Was it? No, it wasn't Tony. It was my. I think it was. It was my or Tony. I can't remember. I'm so bad at remembering things. Tony, like Tony Morris. Yes. I would think it'd be Maya because she was an actress and a singer and a dancer and all of that. Probably was Maya. I might be misremembering. Yeah. yeah, but I remember it was something like that. Like probably it was like, no, she's too ugly. Ugh. Which I'm like, what? <laughs> the worst. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It was such a pleasure. Likewise. I will see you all next week. Bye-bye. <laughs> so here's to the girls on the go. Everybody tries. Look into their eyes and you'll see what they know. Everybody dies. A toast to that invincible bunch. The dinosaurs surviving the crunch. Let's hear it for the ladies who lunch Everybody run!